Hi, and welcome to a new instalment of Business Disability Forum's podcast series. I'm Diane Lightfoot, I'm Chief Executive of Business Disability Forum, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Brendan Roach, Senior Disability Consultant and our Global Lead, on his first ever podcast. So, hello Brendan, Hi, how Diane. are you? Yeah, oh, good, thank you. Good to be here on the first, or my first uh, podcast, very excited. I can't believe it's your first one, I thought, I, I thought you'd be a veteran of these things. I'm a veteran listener, I've listened to them all and finally made my way on. Okay, excellent. Well, we're very pleased to have you. And uh, you're not just our global lead. You actually are our kind of overseas ambassador already, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I've been living in um, living in Spain for the last 18 months. So I've worked at BDF now for 11 years. And up to that point, I was based in, in London, spent uh, many an many a hour in the, in the office here where we are today uh, in London Bridge. Uh, but now I live in Alicante, just on, the, on a sm- small town on the, on the coast there in Spain. Very nice. I assume it's um, probably slightly warmer there than it is here. Yeah, it is. I don't check the weather when I'm when I'm not there. Um, but very wise. Uh, it's certainly uh, been quite sunny for the for the last few weeks. Very wise, and it's a really nice example of kind of what we espouse around flexible working. So I think you've been doing this for about a year or so, eighteen months. Yeah, eighteen months, and I mean, I'm really fortunate that I do a job um, that's kind of, I guess you would say, it's knowledge based, and that I um, do a lot of consultancy. I work with clients who, even those that are based in the UK, often they work remotely as well. So the fact that I'm in London now, I'm still quite far away from a lot of my UK clients because they live on the coast or they live um, up north. But I also work with uh, an increasing group of kind of international clients um, all over the world as well. Yes, indeed. And hence the the subject of this podcast, which um, we are planning in the run-up to the UN International Day of Persons with a Disability, which is the 3rd of December, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. 3rd of December every year. It's been going for um, a number of years now, but um, increasingly becoming the day uh, that organisations choose to mark um, their kind of disability achievements to celebrate, but also to launch new initiatives and you know, I think we've been talking quite a lot over the last week about the, the sort of pile-up of, of events and initiatives that are now being launched around that uh, that date. And the fact that it's on a Sunday this year as well makes it yeah. uh, harder in some ways in that they, you can't mark it on the day, but I think you've actually got uh, almost like a two-week period that you can kind of attach your activities to. I think there's pretty much a whole week of activities going on. I mean, just, just the ones I know about, apart from things like um, individual book launches, there's EY's global event, there's uh, the DFID reception, there's an SME-focused event that we're hosting with Barclays. Um, there is, of course, our very own um, conference in, in Scotland, Going Places, on the 5th of December. Just get a quick plug in there. So it, it's really great that it's, um, it's, it's really kind of taking off. I should confess that, I mean, I've only been at BDF for nine months, but I've worked in the disability sector for about 14 years, goodness. Um, and actually, I wasn't aware of it before this year. So I don't know, do, do you think it's something that is gathering momentum? Absolutely. Yeah, in the time, in the time that I've, I've worked at BDF, which is uh, coming up to 11 years, as I mentioned, it has become the day. If you're, if you're launching a new initiative, um, if you're going to... Uh, raise awareness so we see a lot of the kind of the sort of high profile speakers that you'll tend to see those so sort of disabled celebrities politicians paralympians you know, this will be the the busiest time time of year and i was listening to um our friends phil and simon a couple of bdf oh, associates yeah. who um have a regular podcast which um I also listen to, and if you haven't heard that and you're listening to this show, definitely recommend that you listen yep, to that. Definitely. They were saying, yeah, like Simon in particular has a, a group of uh, disabled comedians and says, 
like this is their busiest time of year they get booked out um, and often with kind of corporate gigs as well. Now that's good to hear. And actually, to plug Simon, it's called Abnormally Funny People, and um, I'm sure you can I'm sure you can Google them, but they really are extremely funny and, and worth booking. He hasn't paid me to say that. <laughs> uh, and um, it's been really interesting to me having been here for coming up for nine months, and by the time this podcast goes out over nine months, um, just some of the really great practice that is happening around our members and partners and the appetite to do more at a global level. And I think it was back in April that we did a member and partner survey and I think somewhere between 40 and 50% of those who responded considered themselves to be broader than UK in their remit, whether it was um, pan-European, truly global like some of our, our banking partners or with just um, some overseas territories, for example, call centres, etc. There's a real growing interest in this area, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely there is and I think we're increasingly being asked by our members to do more to help them to get it right for their disabled employees and colleagues wherever they are in the world um, and I know that you know, you've been here for, for nine months and part of that has been um, sort of going out and meeting our, our, our members and partners as well. So I know you've said previously that like you've had that kind of informal feedback that they'd like more from us in this space as well. Yes, very much so. And in fact, even before I, before I started, um, I had a really great meeting with one of our partners, Shell, who was talking, and I know we've done quite a lot of work with them, which maybe we'll come on to, um, who was talking about how we could make some of our toolkits really relevant to different countries that they work in. Because although obviously... Um, they try and find local solutions. They don't always exist. So where we can adapt things, that's that's really, really positive. Yeah, there's a real opportunity for global companies to use their global uh, reach to improve the life chances of people with disabilities um, across the world or wherever they wherever they operate. And particularly in, dis- uh, in developing countries where you know disabled people will be you know, even, even more disadvantaged. Um, but you know, the real driver for us is to I- increase our impact, which I know is something that you're keen that we do here in the UK, but when you think about the fact that there are you know, about a billion people who are disabled worldwide, that there's a real opportunity for us to have you know, greater impact if we, can, if we can develop the right kind of tools and support. Definitely, absolutely. And we talk about the fact that our role is to support businesses to get better at recruiting and retaining disabled people and serving disabled customers. But I also then say that actually we are here with them to transform the life chances of disabled people as consumers, as employees, but potentially worldwide. Mm-hmm. And just looking at um, the estimates of how many people have a disability, so uh, you said it's 1 billion, um, and I think that's 15% of the world's population. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's a big issue, and it's one that we all need to work together to tackle. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's absolutely huge. And, you know, there are a number of kind of demographic uh, factors that are, are driving that. So things like an ageing population in, in many parts of the world. So we know... Uh, that's an issue here in the UK, other parts of Western Europe, the US, places like Japan and, and, and Korea. And we've been talking for quite a while now about the links between ageing and age-related uh, disabilities. That's a, uh, a, a huge driver. So I think like the numbers are compelling, but there are also kind of a few things going on at uh, global level in terms of the kind of legal framework as well. So... Uh, the UN Convention on Rights of Persons with Dis- Disabilities now been ratified by I think 174 countries at the latest uh, the latest count. So this is a UN Convention. Those countries that have signed up to it then are signing up to a wide range of commitments, including um, a host of, of of commitments that relate to disability and employment. And there is. Um, 
uh, an impetus for those those countries if they haven't got uh, legislation to work towards implementing uh, non-discrimination legislation on disability as it relates to employment. There's also a strong focus on the uh, requirement to make reasonable adjustments or reasonable accommodations. So listeners in the UK, places like the States and you know, a number of other countries around the world will be familiar with that concept, um, which is simply about you know, what is it that you need to change to make it easier for a, a person with a disability to, you know, to get a job or to keep or develop in, in their career. Um, but that's not the case in all, in all places. So um, you know, what we will see is a move towards a more kind of standardised approach, I think, where that concept of reasonable adjustments or accommodations becomes more commonly uh, recognised and a, a sort of common form of good practice. Yes, that would be great. And I think it perhaps chimes with some of the language that we're hearing in the UK around moving from talking about adjustments to productivity tools. Mm -hmm. If we can get the message that actually it's about supporting an employee, whoever they are, wherever they are, to do as good a job as possible, then that makes the business case very clear, doesn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think like we're definitely seeing that in the UK, that people are dropping that term reasonable. They're talking about either adjustments or, as you say, it's in some cases... Um, productivity tools and I think it's interesting that legal obligation to make accommodations whether it's in the UK or or elsewhere because usually our line at BDF is that businesses should move beyond legal compliance but actually that duty to make adjustments is something that absolutely we want you to comply with because it's both a legal duty but also a good practice measure I would suggest. And it's interesting as well, I'm thinking about the global piece where different, obviously where different organisations are, but where different countries are. So the somewhat controversial area of quotas that's existing in, in some countries. And so would it be fair to say that obviously obviously our position is that we, d- we don't support quotas, but in countries where that's the law, then we will provide tools that help people actually make those work as positively as possible and try, try and mitigate against some of the un- unintended negative consequences there can be. Yeah, gosh, it's a, it's a controversial issue, um, quotas. So there are about 60 countries, I think, uh, around the world that have these kind of quota systems. And we in the UK used to have a quota system um, that came in, you know, after, as most of these systems do, introduced after kind of period of significant conflict. So world mm. wars, for example. So UK quota, I think, went back to sort of, you know, um, the, the first world war and kind of arose out of this sort of collective sense of obligation that we have towards our disabled veterans and you know we still see that now actually um, within uh, a lot of our member organizations they do have like kind of programs about getting uh, disabled veterans into their workforce um, but yeah that's but obviously we have we we're talking about disabled people coming back from war on a much greater scale so there was a need to make sure that those people were integrated into the into the workforce what we tend to find or what we certainly what we found in the UK was that it wasn't enforceable it wasn't effective and um, you know, that tends to be the experience worldwide. There's a real sort of lack of evidence about the effectiveness of those quotas. Um, Many people will argue that they reinforce negative assumptions. So um, the fact that you are saying that uh, an organisation has to employ disabled people potentially implies that a person with a disability wouldn't be able to get a job unless they were kind of some sort of thrust upon an employer. So it doesn't do anything to change the attitudes or assumptions that employers might have. No, and um, we heard, uh, we'll come on to talk probably about when we were in Geneva last month at the uh, International Labour Organisation, but we were hearing from other networks and there are examples from other countries where 
people are being disabled people are being taken on in jobs and then told to stay at home just to tick a box for a quota and not actually yeah. working at all so um so so clearly that's that's not what what any of us want no and even i mean so if if you're listening and, and you work for for a large multinational company you you may be aware but you will certainly be spending like vast sums of money on non-compliance and i don't see it mean that because um you're any worse than any other business. Our experience is that every business will be spending money on paying fines for not complying with um, with the quota. And I was at a, a uh, an international conference in Korea just a couple of months ago, and there was somebody talking from uh, the German government about their quota system, and they said that um, the ger- the German government makes five hundred million euros a year um, from fines for non-compliance with, with the quota. So you know that money could be invested. Um, I would suggest on much better. Um, kind of activities that will actually kind of help people get into work and to develop the skills and, and capabilities of, of employees to change the, the mindset of employers to develop kind of meaningful processes for you know adapting and accommodating people with disabilities. Definitely I mean and there are lots of different drivers aren't there um, and I, I think they, they vary from country to country, from business to business, and we've talked about um, kind of talked about retention and aging workforce and those, those sort of demographics. And the stat, which I'm not sure if it's just the UK, is that um, on average the average age for getting a disability or a long-term condition is 53. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems it seems reasonable to suggest that that might be the case or similar in other countries. Um, also had an interesting discussion with the Department for International Development, who we're hoping to do some work with around this. And one of the big levers for them in, in developing countries was around um, supply chains and procurement. And so we're increasingly seeing some of the larger global organisations who have significant buying power actually looking for diversity, inclusion and employment of disabled people within their supply chains. So that's another kind of driver, isn't it, for, for growth? Yeah, um, one other thing that I'm, I'm very aware of is the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development contains 17 sustainable development goals, I believe, and I think five mention disability. Um, but their overall aim, I think, I think, very strongly plays towards disability. So firstly, around ending all forms of poverty, and we know that globally disabled people are more likely to be living in poverty. Fighting inequalities, and um, I, like this, I like this expression, ensuring no one is left behind. Um, so, so what do you think are some of the opportunities for global companies to kind of get behind the aims of those goals and to really make a difference? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's significant that, um, that ambition that, that nobody is left behind in terms of um, the aims of those sustainable development goals. So these are goals that were, that were agreed by uh, the UN, so all members of the, of the UN in, in 2015. And they replace the Millennium Development Goals. Um, and really, as you say, it's about making sure that the world moves um, in a more coordinated way to a situation where uh, the world has developed in a more sustainable way, where it's more equal, where uh, poverty is, is eradicated. And I think in terms of the opportunities for, for global companies, certainly the UN, I think, in drafting those and, and developing those commitments, recognise that... like. These, these goals are so ambitious that they will not be achieved by a government alone. They won't be achieved by civil society alone. It's going to be a coordinated effort between government, um, NGOs, public sector, but also private sector as well. So um, when we think about this idea of no one being left behind, certainly I think 
in the past, and this is something that you know DFID, our Department for International Development, have talked about previously, is that disabled people have been kind of largely absent um, when it comes to development work. So um, you know, a real lack of disability-related outcomes uh, when it comes to to uh, the kind of activities of a lot of the larger development agencies. Um, but we also know that um, when we're talking about disability and employment, our experience is that actually the voice of employers is also often uh, ignored as well. So I mean, BDF almost came into being 25 years ago because initiatives that were aimed at getting disabled people into work or improving outcomes for people with disabilities really didn't take any notice of the of the uh, of the of the needs and, and wishes of, of businesses. Global businesses clearly have a huge part to play and uh, kind of spoiler alert, one of the blogs that I know you've written, Brendan, in the run up to um, the International Day is talking about the fact that you are you're writing a blog on a laptop that was produced by a business, you're employed by a business, you're writing about other businesses. And, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right that when we talk about employment, too often employers get sort of left, either left out or not involved until really very late on in the conversation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the idea of, of, of these sustainable development goals is to create a more inclusive society. And when you think about, you know, what is, what is society? Society is made up, you know, or, or is impacted on by the activities of organizations. So yeah, I was talking about the fact that, um, you know, an organization made the laptop that I was writing a blog on, I'm employed by an organization, an organization kind of makes the roads, the schools, uh, you know, makes the government policy that affects, you know, the country that I live in. Um, so in, countries, the countries, that, yeah, <laughs> in ex exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, the extent to which the activities of those organized various organizations uh, anticipate and accommodate the needs of people with disabilities will have an impact then on the life chances or the quality of life of people with disabilities in where, whatever country it is that they're, that they're living in. Yeah, massively. And um, in the UK, we tend to focus, well, we do focus very much on the business benefits to business, don't we, um, in terms of widening the pool um, of talent that they can attract and the benefits of having a more diverse workforce, you know, in, in avoiding group think, having different skills, all, all those sorts of things. But there is also, when you start looking at developing countries, a sort of bigger CSR angle as, as well, I think. And I know that that kind of feeds into some of the broader goals around ending poverty and reducing inequality. And some of our members and partners who are actively involved in the area have a big role to play. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've, I've certainly come across some of our members who've used those, uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals as a framework for their... CSR-related activities um, and other organisations are starting to look at those 17 goals and actually working out kind of you know, which ones like are most relevant to our, our activities. So where can we make the, the biggest impact? But I think certainly on the goals that relate to uh, decent employment, well, that's any, any, any global organisation can start there in terms of making sure that their employment and recruitment practices are inclusive and that they're working with local agencies to enable them to access um, talented candidates with disabilities. I mean, when we when we talk to uh, you know organisations who are with a presence in other countries, they tend to say the same thing uh, to a lesser or greater extent than than organisations here in the UK. Which is, um, you know, we want to employ people with disabilities, but where can we find uh, people with the right skills? 
but there is a lot of good practice, isn't there? So, so that there is some really good stuff to build on. I mean, I know some of the stuff that you've been telling me about, Brendan, um, and also I was talking to Barclays recently, and they have a really good uh, scheme called their workplace passports. So they, if someone has a, um, a workplace adjustment and moves within the business, they take their adjustments with them. They don't have to go through that process again. And they're currently doing a big piece of work to make sure that that works globally. So wherever you are in the world in Barclays, you will get your adjustment. So I, th- I thought that was really progressive. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I think um, it is a great piece of work. But one, and it kind of speaks to one of the overarching themes that when we've been talking to businesses about some of the challenges that they have as global organisations is this concept of kind of uh, global mobility. So the fact that you might be based in, in and working really well with or without adjustments in one country, but then what happens if you get um, posted abroad? So I think the idea of having that kind of passports uh, process whereby you can um, use that as the basis for a conversation about what you might need in another country is, is, is really positive. And I was talking recently to uh, one of our members who is a government uh, department but also regularly send people overseas as well and they have some really good work in terms of providing upfront information to anybody who's thinking about um, being posted overseas and they'll get information about you know what it's like in that country it might have information about um, rules and law around like LGBT issues for example but it also has information about uh, the accessibility uh, issues um, in that country so what's access like um, you know, sort of with transport and you know, um, the, the environment uh, more broadly and I think that's like fantastic as well but I think the really good thing about that example is it doesn't just sort of end there so it's not about telling somebody that a place is you know generally inaccessible so that they can screen themselves out of that uh, you know application process it's about giving people you know this is what it's like like let's be realistic but then actually there's that commitment then to say so what, what, what can we do about it? So that particular organisation then went on to say, so once somebody's got that information, we would then talk to them about um, you know, what they need and what adaptations we need to make. And they were talking about um, building in ramps and um, putting in electric doors in Pakistan. They sent over a trainer all the way to Pakistan to train um, colleagues and, and the wider team. So um, yeah, there's some really good practice. It's an emerging area, I think, this issue of kind of uh, global organisations um, getting it right for their people wherever they are in the world, but we're starting to see good practice. We are, we are definitely. I mean, I was really interested. You were telling me about that Accenture has a global disability program, which has a commitment to make adjustments everywhere, regardless of what the legal framework was. And they've also been doing some really interesting stuff with technology. So when we were in Geneva last month, I think uh, one of the, well, all the presentations were interesting, but one that was particularly interesting was the piece of software, I think it's called Dristi, that they developed to support visually impaired people in India um, by kind of navigating, narrating the world around them. And uh, I think everybody was really enjoying that. So for example, it said, I think there's a phone on the table and then said on closer inspection, I think it's a Samsung, not advertising Samsung, by the way. Um, but other then phones bit, are available. Other phones are available. But um, a bit later on, it said, uh, said um, I think there are two people sitting around the table. On closer inspection, I think they're both male aged between 30 and 35. So I think that that possibly could be a bit dangerous. But joking joking aside, it's it's a fantastic tool. Yeah. So there's some amazing stuff that's happening. Yeah, and do you know the thing that I really loved about that is because we talked about you know what can a company do um, in terms of making it better for people in the specific 
like regions or locations that that they work in any any company can look at its employment practices but what i loved about what accenture are doing is saying kind of you know what like what is it that we do accenture like we're tech people right so we can like let's look at that so what are the challenges that people have um you know in this particular location or, or worldwide and how can we use our expertise in terms of our product offering like to address that particular problem and i think like that was amazing i think particularly with tech like there's a real opportunity for any organization that's uh, working in tech to like think creatively about how they might contribute to overcoming like a lot of the barriers that people with disabilities face and i think again thinking about when another one of the presentations in in geneva we had the guys from cisco as well who were talking about their uh, program uh, life changer which is about um using cisco's collaboration tools so like the kind of soft software and equipment that enables people to contribute without being tied to one specific location and again like that's like that's cisco thinking about what is it that we're here to do generally and how can we use that and i thought that was fantastic and they were talking about the fact that they had generated work like you know meaningful employment jobs for over 100 people in i think it was india mm-hmm. brussels um somewhere else as well i think they were talking about three um th- three different countries but you know plans to scale and to and to roll it out globally as well yeah it was really interesting stuff um, and I suppose at this point, it's probably right to give a little plug for our tech task force. Um, so if you haven't checked out the technology task force, please have a look on our website because all the resources are open source and available to members and non-members. Yeah. And of course, Lucy, the tech task force manager, was presenting in um, Geneva as well. So um, Yes, and she's off to Vienna on the back of it, I think. Yes, She, she yes. is, yeah. So she did fantastically well and she was kind of flanked by a couple of BDF partners as well. So Neil Milliken at at Atos and David Caldwell at Barclays talking about the great work that they do in terms of ensuring uh, that their kind of digital activities are, are inclusive and accessible yeah. as well. No, it was really good. And just just a kind of a, a different thing I wanted to mention. So we, we often talk about um, the financial services sector and professional services in this field, and, and that's, that's for a good reason because they're doing great work and, and often really quite groundbreaking. But it's not all about those sectors. And um, I was really interested that you were telling me that our partner, Shell, um, has got, for example, some really nice examples of working with NGOs in Pakistan to place disabled people into jobs in petrol stations. So it, is, it isn't all about the, sort of the professional services side of things. It's very, very varied. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm, I think, like, Shell are a really interesting one because I think they're, do, they're doing a couple of things. So I think that example of them working with an NGO at a you know, sort of super local level in, in Pakistan to help uh, find people work in their kind of petrol stations is a brilliant example of like what, can, what action can you take locally um, to make a difference. But they're also aware that you know, there are sort of certain corporate global functions that they can address and, and change to make it easier for people wherever they are in the world. So we've had um, Shell on, uh, not on, onto, onto our podcast series, but we did a webinar with Shell earlier this year actually where um, they told us about their workplace adjustments process. So you know, we talked about the importance of making accommodations or, or, or adjustments for, for employees. Um, in the UK, it's a legal requirement, but it's also a good practice. So what Shell are trying to do then and what they're starting to do is to develop a process that works globally so that you can get an adjustment um, just as easily if you're working in the Middle East or if you're working in the US as you can uh, if you're working in head office in, in the Netherlands, for example. So they've developed a standard process which they uh, have tested in a few locations. I think Holland was one. 
Canada was certainly uh, another one. And then the plan then is to scale and to, and to roll that out globally until hopefully you've got a situation where it doesn't matter where you're working. Um, if there's something that would make it easier for you to do your job um, because of uh, the result of a, a disability or long-term condition, you can get that in, in a kind of timely and consistent manner. No, that's, that's very positive. And I know that um, Michelle particularly has been very keen on working with us to look at how we adapt some of our tools and resources so that they can work for global business. Um, notably, our disability standard accreditation, which, if you if you don't know it, is a whole organisation approach at supporting businesses to become disability smart. And we're, we're looking at how we might adapt that, aren't we? And, and we obviously, we've, we've done some adaptation internationally already. Yeah, no, the, the, it's an interesting one. So the disability standard for anybody who's listening who's not familiar with that is really sits at the core of, of, of BDF's kind of um, products and, and services. And it's an assessment tool, an online management tool, I guess, is probably how we, we most often refer to it. And it helps an organisation to understand how disability impacts on every aspect of its business. So from like its kind of strategic commitment all the way through to kind of functional areas like learning and development and recruitment and HR and products and services through to IT and, and premises. So we've had that tool in uh, in the UK since 2005 and it's really quite well established. So most of our members now will use that framework, that kind of whole organisation framework um, as a way of kind of addressing disability as a, as a business issue. And, you know, in the last few years, we've had lots of interest from, from other countries in terms of the disability standards and um, we've worked with our counterparts in um, Australia and, and Saudi Arabia. So I mean, what we, we talk about this in a bit more detail, I think it'd be interesting uh, later, but we're starting to see the emergence of, for, like, for want of a better word, BDS-style networks, mm. so national disability uh, and business networks in a whole host of other countries. And some have been going for a long time, like BDF um, and the Australian uh, network on, on disability, and others are kind of new and, and emerging. So uh, we've worked with our, our friends in Australia and Saudi Arabia to develop kind of localised versions, so supporting them to develop localised versions of our disability standard, which, um, you know, you can check them out online. There are these amazing versions that kind of share that kind of ethos of like a whole organisation approach is required to improve disability performance, but actually they look and feel underneath that kind of overarching framework is very different and specific to those uh, to those locations. So yeah, absolutely. I think it works at a national level, but you mentioned, Diane, like what we might do in terms of making it more useful for global companies. Yeah. And you mentioned it's something that particularly our partners at Shell are really keen for us to, to look at and have been really encouraging in terms of, um, you know, prompting us to think about how it might be adapted for a kind of more of a, a global corporate function. So um, we'll be working with our members and partners over the next few months to develop uh, a version of that standard that can be used by a global company. And it will look at uh, exactly the kind of questions that we've been talking about now, which is, you know, if you're sending people overseas, like what happens if they have a disability? How do you accommodate that? Um, you know, to what extent do you have a global position and, and strategy around disability that can be interpreted and adapted at a local level so that it's kind of legally and culturally um, appropriate. So yeah, there are definitely changes that, that can be made, but I think uh, the good thing about the disability standard is that overarching framework, whole disability, or uh, a whole organisation approach to improving performance, like it's proved to be kind of universal actually. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been really good to see um, the interest in that, that take up. 
um, both for global HQs and also in having something that would work in different um, overseas territories. And as you say, as, as well, an important part of what we're doing is working with and supporting the emergence of other national business disability networks. I mean, notably, um, Kadaroon in Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and it was it was great at the um, global meeting in Geneva just to hear about how much they are doing. It's amazingly positive. Um, but then, right, sort of thinking to a much newer organisation, and we, um, on the back of the Geneva visit, we hosted um, the Bangladesh Network, uh, gosh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, who were really interested in our tools and resources. So it's it's really it's really great being able to support those kind of networks as they as they develop. Yeah, it was a, it was an absolutely fascinating uh, meeting. We spent a day with um, I think there was about twelve or so national networks in the room, and then we had sort of five to ten maybe uh, networks joining by by Skype, and it was just fantastic to see the range of organ like organisations. So all these networks. I think the thing that we had in common was that we were all here to kind of work with employers and to provide them with practical tools and guidance and advice. But, um, you know, kind of how the organisations were structured was different, like kind of the origins were different. Um, but it was certainly fantastic to see um, our friends from Kadaroon, who I have spent, you know, about nearly four years now working with them to kind of like support their development, but like primarily to support them in developing this version of the disability standard that is now used by um, Saudi employers and it was brilliant to see our friend Aya who's the head of comms at, um, at, at Kadaroon as well and she was presenting on, on their, their achievements over the last four years and you know they have developed uh, you know fantastically in terms of their range of services and, and products that they, they work with in um, with businesses in, in, in the kingdom. I hadn't met Aya before and I thought I thought her passion and her commitment I thought she was extremely impressive and the work of the organisation mm. is extremely impressive as well. And um, we met, met some other people at uh, the GBDN, so we're hoping to do some work with, um, well, the Global Business Disability Network themselves, aren't we, and the, and the ILO. So that will be really good, and looking at how we can partner with them around for some of these tools. Yeah, I think so. And I think in terms of you know, some of the, the feedback that we get from our, from our members is that you know, whilst they want more support uh, from us in terms of you know, helping them to get it right for their people wherever they are, are in the world, like they're really keen that we um, don't reinvent the wheel, that we partner with you know other other organisations, and I think there's a real opportunity with the ILO's uh, Global Business and Disability Network to partner with them in that because they have a global footprint. You know, the ILO are a global organisation, and they have members who are corporate members who are global. Um, but we've got this background in in developing kind of quite practical tools and, and guidance for businesses. So I think there's a real potential uh, to work together there. Definitely. And it was really interesting for me because of, because com compared with our partners and members, we're a very small organisation. But compared with the other national business disability networks, we're huge. So it, it was just very interesting perspective and, and the amount of tools and resources that we've got is, is massive. But having said that, there's some really interesting stuff going on in other countries. So um, Suzanne from the Australian Network on Disability was talking about their internship programme and their mentoring programme. So there's there's lots that we can all, all learn from each other which again is, is really really positive yeah yeah absolutely yeah it was interesting to um kind of have that sense of like our, our little organization about 30 people being kind of like this huge corporation <laughs> corporate beast yeah. yes yeah we often ourselves. often refer to bds offices uh, as bdf towers kind of jokingly <laughs> 
um, but actually felt like actually no that's more a kind of accurate description you know, we are yeah. kind of like quite we're big the global HQ now and you're um, as we were, we were saying yesterday you're the Spanish branch yeah so, uh, exactly yeah, so yeah. we're expanding we are we are and so um, tell me about some of the other stuff that we've done internationally and, and some of the stuff that's coming up I think you're doing some more globe trotting. Yeah, that's right. So um, I will be in Dubai next week. So um, I'll hope to be able to say a bit more about that maybe in, in kind of upcoming podcasts. But okay. some really interesting things happening in, in Dubai and the Middle East more uh, broadly. So in Dubai, the government um, sort of has developed over the last couple of years a national disability inclusion plan, um, which looks at um, disability inclusion across a range of, of areas but of course employment is um, a, a big focus for them and they've also committed to become the most accessible city by 2020 so um, you know not long not to long. go there not long at all is um, it no so, you know I, I haven't I've never been but I imagine a, uh, a modern city where they've kind of got um, you know some like the foundations for, for kind of an accessible space, I would, That's I would imagine. That's interesting. I, um, I was at the Technology Task Force last week and we had a speaker, uh, James Thurston, from the G3 ICT talking about smart cities. And of course, a lot of it's about inclusive design. So it'll be fascinating to find out what's happening in, in Dubai and also what, what they mean by accessibility, actually, which yeah. is a, a whole different topic, which yeah. probably we haven't got time to talk about today. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And then I'll have a week back at home and then I'm back to um, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So we'll be um, spending more time with our, our, our colleagues with uh, at the Qataroon Business Disability Network, but we'll also be uh, delivering training for uh, some trainers who are involved in the kind of assessment element of their version of our disability standards. So it's called the Muamua certification system. Mm-hmm. And uh, they run it slightly differently to the way that we do it in, in BDF. So everything at BDF is in-house. So our disability consultants will uh, support an organisation through a submission and uh, they'll review and evaluate the evidence and they'll write the report and they'll provide the feedback and then they'll provide the ongoing uh, support to help kind of implement the recommendations. Um, over in, in Saudi Arabia, they run it in a slightly different way. And I think it's really interesting. It's a, it's a government-run uh, assessment scheme. So I talk about it as kind of the Saudi government's version of the UK government's disability confidence scheme, right, okay. which is you know an assessment um, process which heaps of our members now are working through the, the three levels. Um, so that's the way it works in, in Saudi Arabia. So I, I think, you know, the strength of the Saudi model is that it's based on a whole organisation approach and you've got these kind of independent auditors that uh, will assess um, every question um, that, that an organisation submits against. Um, so we'll be there training uh, some of the auditors. So we're regularly there training uh, auditors and then kind of providing refresher tra- training. So there's a whole quality assurance uh, process ar- around that. No, it's, it's incredible. You know, before I joined, I hadn't realised quite how much we were doing globally. And it's really great to see that growing um, over the last probably six months particularly and getting going and I know it's something we really want to want to focus on in the future because that's what our partners and members tell mm. us that they want from us so so what, what do you think are the big priorities what's what's next so I think there's a there's a few things I mean our, our sort of international clients are like different types of organizations so I think we've we're increasingly being asked more by global uh, corporations to help them to review how their global functions will have an impact on their ability to 
um, get it right for their people wherever they are in the world. So um, I think we'll be we'll be doing more of that. And I think if we can uh, look at how our disability standard uh, can be adapted to help organisations to do some of that work themselves, like I think that's a real opportunity for us to kind of make it easier for lots of, of companies to kind of work through that process. Um, I think we are seeing interest from governments. So um, as I mentioned, 174 con- countries have signed the uh, ratified the UN Convention, which means that there are is, you know, hundreds of, 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 of countries that are starting to think about the best way to uh, support more people with disabilities into work. And I think one of the things that is interesting about BDF is that our position is that the, the businesses need to be customers in that, in that endeavour. They need to be positioned as um, a kind of valued stakeholder rather than a barrier or, or a problem. And I think um, whilst we've been talking about that for 30 years in this country, like that's still kind of like an interesting and new concept in, in, in places where that conversation is just beginning. So I think um, we'll certainly be doing more to kind of help uh, at a kind of governmental level uh, to kind of introduce that concept and then supporting um, where there are kind of similar organisations to BDF to supporting um, them to be able to kind of do the sort of same sort of function that we've done in terms of providing that practical guidance and advice for businesses. Oh, sounds great. And uh, I think... I think thinking about where other countries are at is very interesting and uh, as you say we're hoping to do some more work with the Department for International Development and by the time this podcast goes out they will have had their event around the International Day setting out some of the things they want to do and um, I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful that the new Secretary of State Penny Morden having just come directly from being the Minister of Disabled People will be really interested in driving this so um, yeah, so, yeah there's a real opportunity there's there. a real opportunity I think that was a bit of a silver lining, I think, because you know we're kind of used in this in this space to, you know, we often have to make, to build relationships with ministers because you know they, the nature of the job is that you have ministers, they get promoted, they, changes, they do other yep. things, but I think actually you know in that sense we've lost a minister and we need to build a relationship with a new one in terms of their UK remit. The fact that um, that Penny Morden has gone to the kind of diffid role. Yeah, hopefully that's really positive in terms yeah. of really getting this on the agenda, which yeah. would be which would be great. Uh, so look out for all the things that are happening around the UN International Day. Um, we'll be having um, more podcasts and also there'll be a, a short series of blogs going out. We're also hoping to continue this theme into the new year, hopefully by interviewing um, some of those different national business disability networks and also um, the International Labour Organisation to kind of get their perspective on it. Um, but for now, thank you very much, Brendan, for your first ever podcast. It's which, been a pleasure. Thank which I think you. you can agree was a a triumph and um, which I, I hope the listeners will agree is a triumph and as always if you're listening to this we would love to hear from you so please let us know what you think or if you have any questions for us uh, you can contact us by phone on 020 7403 3020 email us at media at business or you can tweet us at disability smart <laughs> <laughs>